morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning. And um, for those of you who are wondering, let me just uh, put some rumors to rest uh, already. This is not the result of me getting lippy with Cheryl. Um, I understand that rumor has been coursing through the church. I actually had surgery this past week for an old rotator cuff injury that just kind of progressively got worse over time to the point that I could, couldn't reach above my head um, and uh, <clears throat> couldn't comb my hair. And for a guy that, whose hairstyle stuck in the 1980s, that's a problem. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> enough about that. Um, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we're excited to have you with us this morning. And um, on your way into the auditorium, you received a white sheet with holes punched on the side. That's an outline. It's got scriptures and fill in the blanks. It'll help you follow along. And so if you want to go ahead and pull that out, you can. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But um, <clears throat> today what we're doing is we're beginning a brand new lesson series, a four-week lesson series entitled Fully Functioning Followers Give. And, and I want you to just think about that lesson title for just a moment, Fully Functioning Followers Give. And the first thing that I want to do is I want to allay some fears that maybe some of you may be experiencing right now. Because some of you may be thinking, great, you know, I finally decided to give this church thing a try. And the first Sunday I show up, they're talking about money, okay? No, <laughs> that, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So everybody just relax. Uh, let, <laughs> let me explain. Every year, for the past 13 years, we have picked a theme word um, for the year. And it's a word that we believe captures a sense of where we are as a church family and where we are in the history of our church and what we need to focus on in order for us as a church family to be more effective for Christ. And this year, our theme word that we picked was the word follow. And, and we pick that word because we believe that God is calling the G&G family to follow Christ with a greater degree of commitment and a depth of devotion previously unseen in our church. Do we believe that? We realize that we are living in a world that is growing increasingly indifferent, if not hostile, to the claims of Christianity. And it is imperative that we be the light of the world. That's what Christ called us to. And our church and its light must shine more brightly. We have to be a beacon of hope in our community. But this can only happen if we, not just individually, but if we as a church family follow Christ to the very best of our ability. Well, 21 years ago, when Christ called this church into existence, he set before us a very specific purpose. And it goes like this. Our purpose explains why we exist. I mean, every church needs to be able to explain why it exists. What, what is it here for? And here's why we exist. We exist to develop seekers into fully functioning followers of Christ. That's why this church is here. Now, when we talk about that, I want to I define a couple of terms for you. It says, we exist to develop seekers. These are people who are seeking spiritual truth. And we believe that that truth, spiritual truth, 
is found in God's word. That's where we believe it can be found. And so we exist to develop people seeking spiritual truth into fully functioning. Those are two very important words. Because fully means completely. Okay? Well-rounded. Altogether. Fully functioning. In other words, functioning means lived out. Okay? It's, this is a Christianity that is not confined to Sunday from 11 to 12. This is a Christianity that goes from Sunday to Sunday. Fully functioning followers. The word followers just simply means people who follow in Christ's footsteps to the very best of their ability and with God's help. They emulate his attitudes, his, his character, his words, and his actions. That's how they try to the best of their ability to live their lives day in and day out. So, what's, what's a fully functioning follower of Christ look like? I mean, if you saw one on the street, would you know? What characteristics would be evident in the life of a person who's a fully functioning follower of Christ? What, what attributes would be readily observable, okay? Well, we illustrate those characteristics of a fully functioning follower with our G diagram. Looks like this up here on your screen. And you'll notice that the one arrow points inward toward the inside of the G, and then the other arrow points outward or away from the G. Now, the part of the diagram that focuses in, it illustrates the inner life of an individual Christian. And it goes like this. First, fully functioning followers of Christ get... In other words, they get or they understand and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. They understand that his death on the cross is necessary for us to receive forgiveness of our sins. They understand to the very core of their being. They get it. They're committed to that. But not only that, they not only get the good news about Jesus Christ, understand it, but they are committed to growing deeper in their relationship with Christ, and becoming more like him. That's why here at Good News Gathering, we talk about various disciplines, church or spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and journaling and things like that that are designed to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. But these are the two inward-focused aspects of a fully functioning follower. But the last two elements focus Outward. That's why that other arrow points away from the individual and toward other people. Fully functioning followers don't stop with getting and growing. Okay, that would be a partially functioning follower of Christ. And I can assure you, churches are full of them. And we don't need any here. See, in order to fully function... We not only must get the good news and we must be growing in Christ, but we also must be giving our lives in service to others. To serve others within our church family and also outside of our church family. And we must go. We must go into all the world to spread God's love and the good news of Jesus to as many people as we can. That's why it's so important for this church for its light to shine 
in our community. You see, fully functioning followers get, grow, give, and go. And our purpose as a church is to produce followers whose lives demonstrate these characteristics. Now, the title of today's lesson is called Difference Makers. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to learn from four guys, four Bible characters that you may not expect to learn from at first. Four guys that you might not think of as difference makers. Now, in terms of what the Bible had to say about them, we actually know very little about these four guys. They're somewhat obscure characters. They're kind of behind-the-scenes people. They're better known for the fact that they were associated with a guy we know and Christians across the centuries have known as the Apostle Paul. He was the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived. He was the guy that wrote most of the books of the New Testament. And these guys weren't him. But they were associated with him. And each one of them made a major contribution to his ministry that enabled him to accomplish what he accomplished. Each of them was a difference maker in their own right. Now today... We're going to learn from a difference maker by the name of Ananias. Our focus verse for this lesson series is 1 Corinthians 15, 58, words penned by the Apostle Paul. They're up here on your screen. Let's all recite them together. Here we go. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I want to I parse this scripture just a little bit. I want to I shred it just a little bit so we all understand exactly what he's saying here. Because he, said, he begins with this word, therefore, which is a reference to what he had written before this passage. And he was discussing how we have victory over sin and death through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. And he says, because of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. In other words, he's saying no matter what goes on in life, no matter what may come your way, no matter what crazy things are happening out in the world around us, he says, stand firm. Don't be discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed by the evil we see in the world around us. And when you think about it, friends, many of us this morning woke up to the news what happened in Dayton, Ohio. Nine people, I think, the last I heard, nine people dead, 16 wounded. Because a random gunman decided to open fire on a street 60 miles away from us. I was talking to one of our security people this morning. I said, it's just getting crazier and crazier out there. And sometimes we wonder if the world's gone mad. But the Apostle Paul says, because of what Christ did for us, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, always. Now, notice he says always. He doesn't say sometimes. 
He doesn't say when it's convenient. He doesn't say when it's easy. He says always. Always give yourselves. Always give yourselves fully. Not partially. Not half-heartedly. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, what he's saying is, when you work for the Lord, what you do has eternal consequences. What you do has ramifications that last for eternity. So give it your all. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend in your word and time that we can learn from a character who doesn't spend time in the spotlight, really. He's kind of behind the scenes. And yet when you called his name, he answered. And his answer was, yes, Lord. Father, it's our hope and prayer that everyone who calls Good News Gathering their church home would have that kind of attitude, that kind of disposition, that when you call, the answer is yes. Yes, Lord. Help us to be that church, Father. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, guys, if, if you pull out that outline... The lesson, or the, the story that we're actually going to cover today, scholars believe it happened approximately five years after Jesus left the earth. And the church, during that five-year period, had experienced rapid growth in the wake of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Just ten days after Jesus ascended back into heaven, the apostle Peter preached a sermon in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people were baptized on that one day. It was an amazing, amazing situation. And the church just kept expanding. In fact, uh, some scholars believe that by five to ten years after Jesus left the earth, the church in Jerusalem was running somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 people. Think about that. I don't know how they came up with that figure, but that's just amazing for me to even think about. A church of 30,000 people. And the Bible tells us that over time, a large number of Jewish priests began to believe that Jesus was the Messiah sent by God. Now what happened, though, is that eventually the religious establishment realized that crucifying Jesus did not have the desired effect. If you remember, they thought when they killed Jesus that that would be the end of his movement, that everybody would scatter, that people would go their separate ways, that it would all be over. But the problem was they didn't count on the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. Way too many people had seen Jesus alive after the crucifixion. And the story that they spread around that his followers stole his body despite the fact that the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers, that was too preposterous for most people to believe. And so the church continued to grow. And some of the apostles ended up being arrested and threatened and beaten and, and then released, but they continued to teach and preach about Jesus, Oh, even though they were warned to stop. And then a young Christian by the name of Stephen was seized by the religious authorities. 
and he was stoned to death. And witnessing Stephen's stoning, in fact, watching over the clothing of those who were stoning him, was a young man by the name of Saul. Saul was from the university town of Tarsus. It's located in what is now today modern-day Turkey. It was a very prominent town in those days, known for its high education. And Saul was brilliant, highly educated, a student of one of the most famous and highly respected rabbis of his time. He was both devout and fanatical in his adherence to the Old Testament law. And Saul considered those who followed Jesus as heretics. And he made it his personal mission to wipe them out. And so what he did was he went to Jerusalem and he got authority from the chief priests in, the, in Jerusalem to begin rounding up Christians and imprisoning them. And that's exactly what he did. And as a result, many Christians began to flee from Jerusalem, escaping into other countries. Interestingly enough, that's how the gospel really spread. Persecution spread the gospel because as they went, they continued to teach and preach to new people about Jesus And the Bible tells us this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. See, he wasn't content with just persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. He was intent on rooting them out wherever they went. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Synagogues were houses of worship for Jewish people in different towns. And so he he goes to the high priest and he says, give me letters that I can take to the synagogues in these other cities and, and, and those letters will instruct the Jews there to point out if they know there are Christians in the community, to identify them, and then I'll arrest them. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Now this town was actually located about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So he's traveling a significant distance if he's on foot or on horseback in order to do this. And undoubtedly, they sent soldiers with him. He requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Now, you may be wondering, why why they call it the way? Well, the early Christians were referred to as followers of the way Because Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's why his earliest followers were known as followers of the way. He was the way. It says here, Saul wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. But something happened on the way to Damascus. Saul had an encounter with the risen Christ. He was struck down by a bright light that came from heaven, and he was blinded. And in the midst of this blinding light, he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? Totally blinded, Saul is led into town And he spends the next three days in fasting and prayer. And then the Bible says this. And here's where we pick up our character for today. 
It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple, a Jewish Christian, by the name of Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. And notice his response. Yes, Lord, he answered. This is a very telling response. In fact, circle those two words. Yes, Lord. It's a telling response because it indicates an openness to the will of God. A predisposition to say yes. And not only does he say yes, but he says, yes, Lord. Lord. An expression or a recognition of authority as one who has the right to tell me what to do. The Lord called to him a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Ananias, this is not good news, okay? I don't really want to go to Judas' house on Straight Street. I don't really want to meet this guy named Saul because God identifies him. This is not just any Saul. This is Saul from Tarsus, the one who's been persecuting the church. And then he says this, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come. (laughs) That would be you. Okay? In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Ananias, I don't want to restore his sight. Because now he can identify me. Right? This is scary stuff. But friends, that response, yes, Lord, indicates a pre disposition that Ananias had to do God's will. And friends, here's the thing we have to understand. The first thing we can learn from Ananias, if you and I possess a compelling desire to do God's will, he will provide opportunities for me to serve. If you and I possess a compelling desire to do God's will, if our disposition is, yes, Lord, then he will provide opportunities for us to serve. There won't be any lack of opportunities if our attitude is, yes, Lord, I will serve. Now, that doesn't mean it won't be scary. That doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. That doesn't mean that sometimes we won't have questions. Ananias certainly did. Notice what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So Ananias was not mistaken about who this was. He knew exactly who it was. He'd heard the rumors. He'd heard the stories. He'd already had reports that this guy was on his way to Damascus. It says here, he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And Ananias is like, wait a minute. (laughs) Are you sure you want me to do this? 
This guy's scary. This guy's arresting people. People are dying because of this guy. And you want me to go over there and participate in him getting his sight back? Friends, if anyone ever had an excuse not to do God's will, it was this guy. I don't know about you, but if I was him, I would have been scared to death. But here's what we have to understand, friends. My excuses for not serving and your excuses for not serving are matters of faith, not fact. They're matters of faith, not fact. Here's what I mean by that, friends. When you and I start making excuses as to why we can't serve or why we don't want to serve or why we don't think it's a smart thing to serve in a particular way God is calling us to, it's not really a matter of fact. It's a matter of faith or a lack thereof in God and what he's calling us to do. You see, Ananias knew certain facts. Problem was, God was already changing those facts. Saul was no longer the man he was when he left Jerusalem. He just spent the three, last three days in fasting and prayer. He was changing. And Ananias' excuses were no longer valid. The question is, did he have enough faith to follow what God called him to do? Now, his reluctance, humanly speaking, was reasonable. We can understand that. But friends, when we are asked by God to do something, we're operating beyond just the purely human level. We're in the realm of faith. And friends, the truth is God calls all of us to serve. Every last one. Every person who calls Good News Gathering their church home has been called to serve. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man, his favorite phrase or word reference for himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, if you're a Christ follower... Our job is to emulate Christ as best we can, to live as he lived. And he said he came to live a life of service. In fact, on the night before he died, after he washed the apostles' feet, he said this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, he set the example of service, and he expects us To serve. In fact, the Apostle Peter said it this way. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We've each been given a gift or a talent or an ability or something that we can use to serve others. And God expects us to serve And not only does he expect us to serve, but the reality is, friends, when we fail to serve, we miss so much. That's what it says there. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
So the Lord listened to Ananias say, you know, hey, man, are you sure about this? Do you really think, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Because this guy's bad news. He's been arresting people. He's been throwing us in jail. Why do you want me to go help him? And God says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. You see, God could see what Ananias could not. He could see the impact that Saul, later to be known as Paul, would have for Christ. And all these things, all these things that the Lord said to Ananias came true. Paul would proclaim Christ to Gentiles, non-Jews, and to their kings. If you can read on in Acts chapters 25 and 26, you can read about his appearance before King Agrippa and also about how he appealed his case all the way to Rome. Not only that, but Paul would in fact suffer for the cause of Christ. He ultimately would go to Rome and be beheaded under the Emperor Nero. And when you think about it, friends, Ananias was in a position, as we all are, to be used by God. Think about it. If you and I fail to serve, we miss opportunities to be used by Almighty God. How cool is that? To make a difference in somebody's life. Ananias had an opportunity to be used by God to make a difference in Saul's life. And I suppose, I suppose if we wanted to, we could argue about whether or not if Ananias had said no, God could have found somebody else for the job. I'm certain that God's will would not be thwarted if Ananias decided to refuse. But what would he have missed? He would have missed an opportunity to be on the front end of one of those lives that changed history. You know, I think about that on my days off when I'm not teaching in here. And when I'm not teaching in here, typically at one of the services, I will serve in the, in the children's ministry. Last time out, I was in the twos and threes. And you know, I never fail to look around those rooms and ask myself, is the next Apostle Paul, or is the next Billy Graham, or is the next Mother Teresa one of these children that I'm helping with. See, I don't know. I can't see around that corner, but God does. And when I serve the children of this church, I have an opportunity to be on the front end of a life that may change history. You know, it's interesting to me, a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to leave after the Sunday service, and it was getting late. I mean, it was like 1.30, I think, in the afternoon, and, and Eric was the only one still here, our facilities uh, um, our facilities director. 
And I said, I'm getting ready to lock up. Is anybody else here? He said, yeah, Lindsay's here. I said, Lindsay? What was she doing here so late? He said, she's disinfecting the toys in the kids' ministry. Does it two Sundays a month. And you know, I didn't even know she did that. I didn't know she's been at that ministry for the past four months, like she said on the video. And you know, that friends, there are so many things at this church, so many ministries that people perform that nobody ever sees, that are behind the scenes, that don't get the spotlight, but that are critical for the effectiveness of this church. And I think about that ministry. I think about the people that have been working in our G garden out there. And I don't know about you, but man, I, I look at that garden and I, I don't know anything whatsoever about gardening. But these people were out there picking stuff. And the folks that came to the free sale not only were able to get clothes yesterday and stuff for their children for school, but they also got food yesterday. And the folks that are running that G Garden have, have partnered up with some food banks in this area to distribute the food that we grow for free to people. And friends, a second thing is this. If I fail to serve, I miss opportunities to grow in faith, to grow in my faith. It's interesting because the Bible tells us that, that when Ananias went to the house and entered it, it says he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul. <laughs> I can imagine he probably never thought he would use those two words. Brother Saul. But he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I think of the growth in Ananias because he stepped out in faith and followed God's call. And he went to that house where a man who had persecuted the church was waiting for someone to talk to him about Jesus. And you see, Ananias not only go there, but he gets to participate in a miracle because he gets to see Paul regain his sight. And not only that, but he gets to participate in Saul's baptism. And friends, there's nothing better in this world than knowing you played a role in someone crossing the line of faith. Now the third thing is this, friends. If I fail to serve, I miss opportunities to be a difference maker. To be a difference maker. The Bible tells us that as soon as Paul regained his sight, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Think about a total turnaround. He began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? 
And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, Ananias was a difference maker. And even though his role in Saul's life may have been relatively small, may have been limited, as far as we know, this is the only contact that he had with Saul. He made a difference. And Saul went on to become the Apostle Paul and to become one of the greatest Christian missionaries to ever live. Now, friends, this morning, if you would, I'd like you to take out your Connect card. It's a green card that you received in your packet of information on the way in to the auditorium. And if you would, I would like all of you to, to fill out that um, um, contact information with as much information as, as you feel comfortable giving us. And when you do that, when you're finished doing that, I would like to direct your attention to the box on the back of the Connect card. It's the center box on the Connect card. And that center box starts by saying at the very top, I will be attending. And I just want to point out a couple of things to you, very important things that are coming up here at Good News Gathering. And first, if you have any interest whatsoever or, or are just interested in knowing more about what it would be like to serve in our children's and youth ministries, our next generation ministries. They're having an open house on August 28th here at the ministry center. And I would really like, if you would please, to check that box so we have at least some kind of idea of how many people will be coming to that. But if you have any interest in being involved in those ministries, please check that box. The second box that I want to point out is the one directly underneath that. It's talking there about Fair Sunday on September the 1st. For those of you that have been at Good News Gathering for a while, you know that on Fair Sunday, there is no service here at, at the ministry center. We move our entire operation out to the Highland County Fair. So we'll have more information about that. But the reason I would like to have your contact information and that box checked if you intend to attend that service is because we will be distributing tickets for the fair here next couple of weeks, and we would like you to like to make sure we have plenty of tickets available for you. So if you're intending to go to that service, please let us know by checking that box. Now this morning, you and I have a very special opportunity. We as a church family have an opportunity, much like Ananias had, to participate in the baptisms of several folks who have indicated a desire to place their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to call their names and have them come up to the stage at this time. First of all, I'd like to call up Tracy Beatty, Roger Gruber, Timmy Perkins, Dylan Schutte, Rachel Talbot, Kirsten Beatty, and her husband, Nick Beatty, and also Allie Thornton. 
Let's give these folks a warm Good News Gathering. Welcome. Now, immediately after the service, they will be going to the cafe. I'd love for all of you to stop by and say hello and welcome them to the Good News Gathering family. Now, midway through Jesus' ministry, there were rumors spreading about him, about who he might be. And people had all different kind of ideas. Some people thought that he was some of the Old Testament prophets come back to life. Some thought he was actually John the Baptist come back to life. But at one point he asked his closest followers, he said, who do you think I am? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this statement that the Apostle Peter made has been a baptismal confession statement that people have made since that time. Over the past 2,000 years, Christians all across the globe have repeated those words before their baptisms because this expresses the very essence of Christianity, that Jesus is the Christ, the one sent by God. He's the Son of the living God. And he came to the earth to save us from our sins and restore us to God. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these folks recite that confession of faith. And then when they're finished, we will all recite that back to them. Here we go, guys. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you. Amen. Would you all rise, please? As a church family, we're going to recite this confession of faith back to them as a show of solidarity and commitment with them that this is what we all believe. Now, if you're not a Christian, please do not feel any pressure to recite these words. The only thing that we would ask is if you're not a Christian here this morning is that you at least listen to these words and ask yourself the question, what if? What if it's true? What if Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God? What difference would that make in my life? So church family, if you would, please recite after me. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we have accepted him as our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. On the night before he died, Jesus gathered his closest followers around him, and he gave them a very vivid, visual reminder of what he was about to do for all of us the next day on the cross. He was about to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, and he wanted believers all across time to remember that with a very simple 
And the Bible tells us that Jesus took some bread, common, ordinary bread, but he blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then, the Bible tells us, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to his followers and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And this morning, before these folks are baptized, they're going to take communion. Just like Christians all across the globe for the last 2,000 years have taken communion to celebrate Christ's death on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for Tracy, Roger, Timmy, Dylan, and Rachel. Father, I also want to thank you for those who were baptized in first service, Kirsten, Nick, and Allie. Father, I thank you so very much for each one of these folks and for the decision that they have made to put you first in their lives. Father, help the Good News Gathering family to be a family in which they can learn and grow and become more like your son. May all of us lift them up in prayer. May all of us be a source of encouragement to them. And may this be a family in which they can grow. Father, we thank you for your son and for his willingness to come to the earth and die for our sins. May we never forget his sacrifice. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Tracy Beatty, what Jesus means to me. Seven months ago, I was in active addiction. I had reached my absolute bottom. I didn't know what to do except to pray. I didn't realize it at the time, but my prayer was being answered. I went to jail, then treatment. I started to get my health back. I learned some things, and I started feeling happy again. Today, I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior and has given me a second chance. I fully trust in Jesus Christ, and I have met a lot of valuable people through him. Anytime I am in trouble, I know he can help me and show me the right direction. He came to this world to save us, and he sacrificed his life for us. He is a gift from God and can only escape God's punishment if I believe in Jesus Christ totally. Without him, I can't be the same person that I am today. I think I am a better person than I used to be. Without him, I would be lost. Today, because of Jesus Christ, I have strength, integrity, and hope in this world. Roger Gruber. I, Roger Gruber, am a recovering addict. I say this proud because I have almost seven months clean. Today, I am grateful to be alive. See, a wise man told me sin equals death. Eventually, addiction for so many years robbed me of the things I loved most. It steals everything we have and leaves an empty vessel. Since then, I've got clean, graduated rehab, and read my Bible every night. See, in addiction, I was lost, but now I'm found. 
have a new understanding that the one almighty God can handle any battles I cannot. He is an awesome God and he's top dog. So now when my body gets tired or weak, I pray for strength, courage, patience, guidance. I no longer need drugs to fix my problems because God already is. All things are possible through Christ, which strengthens me. Timmy Perkins, what Jesus means to me. He means everything to me. He gave me life and a family, good health, and a good heart. And I am ready to devote my life to him again and help others know him the way I know him and growing in Christ more every day. Dylan Schutte. Jesus has blessed me. He gave me food, water, and shelter, and I hope he blesses me forevermore. Rachel Talbot. Jesus is the one man who can look at me with love when I am covered in the most dirt. He never gives up on me when I turn away from him. He takes me by the hand, willing to guide me, and he... In God's will for me, he will never leaves my side and gives me hope when I feel there is no life left in me in the rough times. He is more than a friendly father. He is my savior, my teacher. He is the reason that I and all sinning humans have a shot at getting into God's beautiful kingdom that we call heaven. I can't see him, but I do know that he is holding my hand with each step in this journey of life. I am forever thankful for his teachings and sacrificing, giving me the chance of building a relationship with our God and thankful for the everlasting love he has for us. Whenever I call on him, he answers, for I am his and he is mine. Nick Beatty, what Jesus means to me, peace. Kirsten Beatty, what Jesus means to me, a life free from anxiety. <laughs> Allie Thornton, what Jesus means to me. Jesus is our Lord and Savior from all sin and evil. He's an everlasting life that doesn't go away, even if everyone else seems to. I also use Jesus as a template for how I should live my life and witness to others. I hope to make him proud as I move forward. 